about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's house, household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Uh, The second Bible reading comes from Philippians, uh, chapter chapter 4, verses 14 to 19. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia... Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I've received full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering and and an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Jesus Christ. Hi to those that are here and also online. Do I look there or do I look there? One of them. (laughs) Hello. Uh, So I'm Ken, and uh, our second reading tonight is from 2 Corinthians 8, uh, 1 to 12, apparently. So uh, here we go. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service of the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. 
And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Hello again, friends. As Becky's already mentioned, we are finishing our series on overflow this evening. Uh, This whole five weeks we've been talking about how the Christian life is one of overflow, which is to say, just like uh, there can be many containers that have so many good things, you can't hold them inside that they kind of overflow outwards. So the, the Christian life, we are so filled with the abundant riches of things in Christ as well as in creation, that we cannot help but overflow with them. Uh, We've been thinking about how God in himself overflows, as Father, Son, and Spirit, light, love, and uh, life overflowing to us through that one eternal life. Uh, As a creator, he is not stingy. He is generous, abundant, above and beyond in the way he lavishes creation and us. And the center of this, this life of overflow are hearts that, aren't filled with guilt, but are filled with Jesus, filled with awe at what he has done with the riches of his grace and his mercy. And that overflowing life starts to look like the relationships and spaces we open up to love and serve one another. And this evening we want to finish by thinking about how that also becomes a thing of giving financially. And this is a very important part of a life of overflow. In in a lot of ways, the money that we have in our bank accounts is kind of like the liquid form of God's blessings, in that you can trade it for any of the opportunities and good things in God's world. So it's a particularly blessed, concentrated form of the good things that God gives to us. And so it's an important part of this life of overflow. As I've been thinking about this sermon, I've been thinking about that verse from 2 Corinthians 8 verse 7 where Paul exhorts the Corinthians who are full of faith and knowledge and kindled in love to not only excel in patience and kindness and the virtues of the Christian life, but to excel in the grace of giving. And that word excel actually maybe might be better to translate it in the same way as it's translated in verse 2 where it's overflowing joy literally overflow, be abundant in the grace of giving. So I want to have a, unpack what that looks like. What does that mean? What does it mean to excel in the grace of giving? And to do that this evening, I want to take you to my three favorite groups of givers in the New Testament. And we're going to see what they tell us about the grace of giving. Now, the first one is a bit left field, but you might not have noticed it. And so I'm really excited to show you And it's in this little side remark in Luke chapter 8 about the women who started to be discipled around the ministry of Jesus. It's literally just a summary statement on the way through the gospel of Mark, and yet it has something really interesting to show us. Let me take you into it. Jesus says in Luke 8 verse 1, Luke says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus is just doing his mission, preaching the kingdom, 
healing the sick, doing the good work of God. And the 12 were with him, we read in verse 1, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. So you have Jesus and the 12, and then around that kind of entourage, a growing number of women who have been specifically impacted by Jesus' healing ministry. Uh, Mary, who had seven demons exercised, uh, we read is the first one. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's house. Very interesting person to be following Jesus around. Susanna, don't know who she is, and many others. And here's where it gets fun. These women, impacted by the grace of Jesus, were helping to support them, Jesus and the twelve, out of their own means. Now, this is a really interesting verse for a number of reasons. I don't know about you, but in my mental architecture, I never think about the logistics of Jesus' mission, right? You know, who got the food on the table at the end of the day? You know, there's a story uh, where Jesus commands one of his disciples to get a coin out of a fish to pay a tax. And I think in my mental architecture, he was just doing that all the time as a banking system, maybe. Or maybe he was just doing the feeding of the 5,000 on a small scale every evening, right? But what Luke 8 tells us is that Jesus' ministry was bankrolled by these women, at least in part. That actually ordinary giving, small and insignificant or big as it might have been from these women, was what enabled the extraordinary ministry of Jesus. It's what enabled the 12 to get around Judea and to keep preaching and doing the good work around them. You know, this is the same as when Jesus sends out the 12 and the 72 to preach the kingdom and to announce his coming to various towns. He says not to take money. He says instead, you'll find a house, a hospitable house and stay there. Even the disciples on doing Jesus' work will go out and depend upon ordinary generosity as they do the extraordinary ministry that God has given to them. It's a beautiful thing you see from these women, these women who have been impacted by the grace of God. It says they help to support them, literally to serve them, and out of their own means. It's like the grace has so impacted them that they consider what they have now belonging to the king who has summoned him to himself. And their treasure belongs to him and his purposes. And their ordinary giving is now enabling his ministry. Think about this for a moment. You know, there were people who were the original investors in Apple, right? And in Facebook and every big tech company who were on the ground floor investing in the big thing it would become. And these women are on record in the Gospel of Luke as being the initial startup investors of the kingdom of God. They are bankrolling the Lord of heaven. They are enabling his grace to conquer the earth. Because it's ordinary giving, friends, that enables Jesus' extraordinary ministry. And it's the same thing for us today, our ordinary giving. You know, Jesus is still not getting coins out of fish or just making the miracles the means of the mission. It's ordinary giving. People who don't consider their treasure their own anymore that enable the grace of God and the glory of God to extend over the earth. Now, what does that look like? What does that actually mean? What do we do with that? Well, 
to get a bit further in, it's good to have a look at the Philippian church. Uh, if you want to flick over there in your Bibles or scroll there on your phone, because the Philippian letter is a very interesting part of the New Testament. As a whole, it reads as a sort of thank you letter uh, from Paul to the Philippians, thanking them for their financial support of Paul. Uh, It's part of a kind of patronage that's happening between Paul and the Philippian church. And we get an insight into uh, what this bankrolling the kingdom looks like. And we see that there's this regular giving in relationship that is what Paul calls gospel partnership. Gospel partnership. He uses this phrase in Philippians chapter 1. We didn't read this, but it's helpful context. He says right at the beginning of of the letter, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul highlights this unique relationship that him and the Philippian church have. Now, this is about more than money. The whole letter exudes uh, a deep love and affection they have one for the other, that they together contend for the glory of the Lord Jesus, right? But in a large part, the Philippians had a unique role in funding Paul's ministry. We see that from the end of the letter, as we we saw read out. Uh, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. That word shared with me is the same word for partnership in chapter 1. So the partnership that Paul and the Philippians have is a unique one. When Paul leaves Macedonia, which is a part of Turkey, they were the one church that sent him off with financial support. And, And when he arrived in Thessalonica, they kept giving him more and more. And when we read on in chapter 4, the occasion for the letter is that they've just sent something more to him through Epaphroditus. Uh, It says in 18, I've received full payment. Uh, I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And so the picture we get is that the Philippians, from the first day they met Paul, have become regular, ongoing, gospel financial supporters of his proclamation of the gospel. And Paul considers that them partnering deeply with his work. And this is a pattern given to us of how we are to regularly give to the gospel, both locally in the local church that we belong to and to all over the world, to the Charleses in Chile, to the Zalis in Thailand to Ben and Celia at EU, to Mel Dunn, who've recently come back from Ecuador. It's this pattern of regular giving that enables the ministry of Jesus. What I love about um, Philippian, the Philippian church is there's nothing transactional between them and Paul. It's not just money moving between bank accounts. There's a deep, rich, and warm relationship. And actually, it's the depth of relationship that makes it so beautiful and stunning. I don't know whether you've been in that sort of position where you've had a long-term kind of financial relationship, uh, partnership with someone else in gospel ministry. Uh, one of our friends, Cass and I's friends, Rach, uh, when she was 22, left Australia and went, moved to South Africa. 
because Lord had laid it on her heart to love and serve uh, some women who'd been abused and suffered trauma in that part of South Africa. Now, she left without joining a mission agency, which I don't recommend, okay? She joined one later. Don't do it that way around. Join the mission agency first. Uh, but from, the, from that time, for the next 10 years, we were partnering with her as she loved and served these broken women in Durban and told them the good news of Jesus. Uh, we were with her when she got carjacked. We were with her when she had to get a new car. We were there with her when she got married and started a family. Uh, and her ministry with her husband grew to new ways of building soccer schools and reaching young kids in different parts of Durban. And we were there partnering with them when she had to desperately get home because her sister was dying. And she's back home now. But there was, it was beautiful being part of that. Beautiful being part of her courage, enabling her courage to do something in the name of Jesus. Beautiful about giving to all the needs she had along the way and enabling her to stay on the ground, doing the good work in Jesus' name. It never felt like a transaction. It never felt like a burden. It was all joy. That's what gospel partnership is. This regular, ongoing giving in relationship that enables the grace and glory of God to extend locally and globally. We're called to that sort of partnership as God's people. And that's part of what it means to excel in the grace of giving. But the final passage we want to have a a gaze at uh, today is the the purple passage about giving in the New Testament. And we're only going to glance at it. Uh, But what Paul takes us into in this passage is a group of churches, again in Macedonia, Philippi was in Macedonia, but I don't think the Philippian church is part of this example, uh, who had not just this ongoing financial relationship, but they demonstrated this, what, what, what did I call it? Spon- this spontaneous giving to acute need. And it's, it's remarkable. Let's have a look. Go to 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Uh, Throughout the New Testament, Paul mentions this collection he's taking for the poor saints in Jerusalem who are suffering from hard circumstances and have not enough to live on. And as he does his missionary journeys, he invites churches to give money toward uh, that situation. You see it in the letter of Romans as well. And uh, it's kind of the first international aid mission, actually. Really fascinating. And it happens in Christian fellowship. Um, But what's really interesting is that Paul doesn't rock up to all these churches and say, okay, you give, you give, you give, you give, let's all give, I command you all to give, we'll get this done, this money over to Jerusalem, we'll fix that situation. That's not what happened with the Macedonian church. What Paul describes is that entirely on their own, when he shows up, these people who, what does he say there, have extreme poverty, and they're undergoing a very severe trial, probably persecution, Roman persecution, and they entirely on their own plead with Paul. Will you please, will you please take our money? Will you please take our money to Jerusalem? 
and help the poor in another part of the world they, they didn't even know. It is a remarkable picture. Paul says that they gave beyond their ability. How do you give beyond your ability when you are in extreme poverty? I don't even, like, what does that even mean? That is an, a, entirely generosity of a different order. These Macedonians, the only, the only way you can understand how this happens is from verse 5, that they gave themselves first of all to their Lord. They're actually like the women in Luke 8, they've been so impacted by the grace of the Lord Jesus that they cannot help themselves. This is a spontaneous, generous, uncom- uncompelled act of generosity to an acute need they see. It's like the Spirit is prompting them. It is supernatural what is happening in the Macedonian church. But it's really interesting in, in, in this part of Corinthians that Paul brings that up uh, because he doesn't... It, it, it's interesting, that what is he getting the Corinthians to do? In verse 10, he describes that they were the first not only to give but also to have the desire to give to this collection. But in verse 11, he's urging them to finish the work, to bring it to completion, to not only be willing to not just be talk, but to be action. And it, it, it may be, it's hard to know what's happening here, but maybe the Corinthians had a great plan and it got a bit sidelined by life or by circumstances or by various things. And Paul is trying to ignite back in them what they first desired and saw. And he does it not by commanding them. He says that directly in verse 9. I'm not commanding you. I want to test the sincerity of your love. And he does it by paying this beautiful picture of the Macedonians. You see, because Paul, Paul can't command what the Macedonians have. Uh, Scott Haffman says it better than me. Let me read him. As a result, Paul's admonitions become advice, not commands. Since commands are viewed as the enemy of a response that is voluntary, willing, generous, eager, and overflowing. In other words, what makes the collection a matter of grace is that the Corinthians are left free to participate or not as they wish. See, Paul's exhorting them but he's opening space for them to spontaneously, generously, and willingly complete their desire to give to the good work of relieving the poor in Jerusalem. And what he wants for them is to excel in the grace of giving, excel in this overflow of generous, generosity. Now, this, I don't think this is too far beyond your experience, actually. I think when I read this text, I think it is. But all of you in the room have things you see happen in the world or groups that you hear about. And you know those moments, don't you, when the Spirit pricks your heart and you're like, oh man, I can't walk past that. I can't walk past hearing that. I can't walk past that without giving toward that. And there's something in you that just wants to to give. For Cass and I, it's trafficked children. We We can't hear about that and not, not do something. It doesn't feel like we're being commanded or compelled. It's just we can't help ourselves. And all of us see different things happening in God's world, awful things, and cannot help us as we're pricked. And maybe like the Corinthians, we have that moment where we have an initial desire and willingness and a little bit, but we get sidelined or distracted from completing the good work that the Spirit has prompted us to to do in in the name of Jesus. And that's where we need examples like the Macedonians that remind us that this is excelling in the grace of giving. This spontaneous 
overflow and meeting of the needs of acute needs of others as they come up. You see, the New Testament paints a picture of both this ongoing support of the advance of the gospel, continual, willing, and on the other hand, this spontaneous overflow when acute things arise. And together, this is what it looks like to excel in the grace of giving. This is what it looks like for us to be people who don't only are patient and kind and good and, uh, uh, and can endure suffering, but are abounding, overflowing in the grace of giving. You know, we looked at tonight how uh, we're to consider what we have Jesus's. If we've been impacted by his grace, our treasure belongs to him and his purposes. That we're called to this long-term, relational, committed support and also to this spontaneous, rich, joyful overflow. That the, This is the total picture of the giving generous life in the New Testament. And all I want to summon you to this evening is just to ask the question, what's your next step? Because all of you in the room tonight and online tonight, you're on a journey with your generosity. In the same way you're on a journey with your kindness and your patience and all kinds of things. And all you need to ask this evening is, what's your next step? Now, for some people in the room, they are great at spontaneous, rich, joyful overflow. And like they, just, they see everything happening all, all the time with poverty in the world. And they just can't help themselves all the time. But it's the long-term, like, systematic, relational support of the mission that's actually, oh, actually, that's, that's the thing I, I'm not very good at. I'm not very good at actually getting the, the digits into my direct debit to make that happen. And maybe that's your next step tonight, to get your direct debit going for church and to shift from being an irregular giver to becoming a regular giver of church. Or to that missionary who you've always thought, I'd love to support them, but you never quite get to, the, to doing it. Maybe point two is for you. Or maybe you're someone who, you lock that in, that's always going in and out of your account, and you smash that, but spontaneous is not your thing. You know, you're not quite excelling in the way that Paul is summoning the Corinthians to. You know, do you want, I plan to be spontaneous, which I think is terrible and probably counterintuitive and maybe not right. Uh, now I think about it. But, you know, it's not hard to guess that there'll be many things that happen in a year that will be awful and leave a lot of people poor and in need. Uh, and so we often pick an amount in our house of what we'll do when those things prick our hearts and the Spirit prompts us. What will we overflow with when those things happen? We kind of predetermine it just so we have a sense of it. We can't tell how many times it will happen in a year and how much we might be prompted to give, but at least we have a plan. Maybe that's you tonight, spontaneous giving. Maybe it's just thinking, well, you haven't actually reviewed what you've been doing for a while. You need to relook at the stats. Uh, you've had a pay rise or something. or uh, I don't know what the next step is for you. Some, some people in the room tonight, you're going to make so much money over your lifetime that actually you need to think even above these categories. You need to think of, how could I invest my money for, for the sake of the kingdom of God in a deep, rich, ongoing way that might start ministries that don't even exist yet? For some of you in the room, you need to think at that level over the course of your lifetime. I don't know where you're up to. If you want to have a chat and you're not really sure what your next step is, I'd love to talk to you about it. I'd love to help you about uh, what to do with that. Uh, but that's all I want you to think about this evening. What's your next step? But you might be feeling compelled. You might be feeling like I'm commanding you. You might be feeling guilty. Can I take you back to the heart of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, just to close? Paul, in the end, doesn't just put the Macedonians before the Corinthians. He puts the Lord Jesus before them. As we've been saying all through this series, if you want to become a person of overflow, 
your eyes need to be on your king. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich spiritually in glory, yet for your sake, he became poor. He lost his last piece of clothing on the cross to die for your sin and your judgment, so that you in your utter poverty might gain his spiritual riches. You see, when your eyes are on that, when your heart's full of that, that's when spontaneity will come. When your heart's on that, it'll be in the grit of the everyday, contending again and again for the gospel. Put your eyes on a Jesus and just ask, what's next? Let's pray. Father, we do pray this evening by your spirit that you would prompt us into the, the deeper way of living in your purposes that we aren't yet. Father, all of us were growing. All of us were impacted by uh, the nature of our culture and the way it handles wealth. But Father, we just want to take one more step this evening. Prompt us, we pray, by your spirit to what our next step is, whether it's to give toward the poor, whether it's to commit more deeply to regular giving toward gospel ministry. Father, prompt us, show us, convict us, move us for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.